You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant, an executive coach, and a leadership facilitator working with people and organizations live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. I'm glad to be back after a couple of weeks break. And this week, I am on vacation in LA. I wish it was hotter here, but um, it's really lovely to be able to really have nothing to do other than hang out. And that's exactly what I'm doing. I hope that you are having a good week yourself and thinking about taking time for yourself. And if you if you haven't taken time for yourself recently, you might want to um, consider that. So what I've decided to do is I'm going to post the what's been driving me this week as a separate kind of mini episode or not really an episode because, well, it's an episode, but it's go- it's going to be like a snippet or a she's got drive bite or something like that. I, I don't know what I'm going to call it, but I've decided that given the di- my diagnosis of osteoporosis and the impact that it's having on me and my life and what I'm doing with it I want to share more about um, my what's been driving me is a lot around that obviously it's just three weeks ago that I found out and so it is all encompassing for me now now what it is though is is a demonstration or an example of having to redesign your life, which is what I'm looking at as a result and living my life by design, not default, because I really, there's, there's a, there has been a default way of me living my life. And now it has to change as a result of this new piece of information in my context, new piece of information in my life. And so I wanted to have a place where I would share that, that's separate from the um, the podcasts, you know. Um, so if you are interested in f- tracking my journey as I transform my life in this uh, and how I do it and how I use the tools that I use in my life normally to, to, to achieve things that I want, but also... How what I work with on my client with my clients, then that's going to be a separate piece where it's going to be called the "What's Been Driving Me" um, this week episode, and and then I'll continue to post uh, in my norm um, posts and episodes, my guests interviews, and you know there might be something else that comes up as usual. So that's what I'm going to do. So look out for that. I think that will likely be posted at the front end of a week. And as usual, the She's Got Drive interviews will be likely posted more at the the back end of the week. So that's what I'm thinking. And um, that's my plan. So look out for that. Um, the first episode will um, the what's been driving me this week will be or bite will be coming out soon. And I'll be interested to hear what you uh, think about that. So and what you're getting from it as I start posting that. So a few months ago, I made, I created your four-step goalkeeper, um, which is the outline for thinking about what you want in your life, what are the things you want to be working on, where you want to be by the end of the year, what are your goals? And 
that structure is some of what I'm using right now. So it reminded me to remind you to download the four-step goalkeeper. If you have things that you want to accomplish and you're like, you're partway through the year, like we're halfway through, it's June and you're like, oh, I didn't do that thing that I wanted to start doing or I didn't even plan for it. It was an idea and I didn't do anything with it. Download the four-step goalkeeper work through that it's just two sheets but the it's simple um straightforward and yet very impactful and work through the two sheets and then and then start to plan the life that you want live your life by design and not default and then you know you can also then tune into what's been driving me this week and uh and then there'll be some lessons that come out of that that you can be applying in whatever you're working on so the link is going to be in the show notes for that. Um, and then uh, share, you know, share that link as well. Have other people in your life also encourage them to work on their goals. Hey, why don't you get a little group going, actually, a goal goalkeeper group going as well. And that way we can all be living our life by design and not default. Now, there's nothing wrong with the life that you have. This isn't from a place that's wrong. It's It's really from a place of really inventing and creating a life. I is so interesting when you get something like a health issue, how that focuses your mind in a particular way. And you start to think about what is the life that I really want and how am I spending my time? What am I doing with my time? What am I, what am I accomplishing? And why am I accomplishing that? You know, why am I working on that? Where am I putting my energy? What am I? What do I love to do? And am I doing what I love? Not just my work, but in in all aspects. It has that way of you bringing those questions to you. Or for me, should I say, for me, it has the way of bringing those questions for me. And with questions, the inquiry starts. And when the inquiry starts, there's answers that start to arise. And it's a courageous moment in looking at those answers too. And then following through and looking at how you're going to make those things happen. So uh, as I said, I'll I'll share more about that in my What's Been Driving Me This Week episodes. But you know, if you've got something that you're passionate about, that you want in your life, that you crave, that you want to change, then that four-step goalkeeper is the beginning of that, can help you with that. And so please download that. Okay, so this week, my guest is Asha Castlebury. And what can I say about Asha? Well, I wondered what it's like to be a black woman who flies over Baghdad or Kabul and on a mission in the middle of the night or, you know, um, defending the country. I wonder how it's like to come out of the military having seen those things, experienced those things and then rebuild your life as a civilian. And we know that the struggle is real for vets. Um, some of them don't make it. You know, that's the truth. And and then some do. And, you know, I'm always curious about women who are succeeding in their fields for a reason. Because there is something about them that allows them to to achieve in the face of some circumstances that are so challenging. And so it was really... Uh, a beautiful opportunity to be able to sit and spend some time with Asha 
and find out her experience because she has come out <laughs> and is has really created a very powerful life and, a, and an amazing um, career after um, after coming out of service within the military and and I'm and she she can also share and she also does share should I say what was her rationale for entering the military too um, I'm always curious about that like what is it that has someone say that's what I want to do I'm gonna and put myself in harm's way you know I never I personally I really I had to really understand like what is that that has someone do that so I was curious to hear from her perspective so it's a real privilege to be able to spend some time with her so let me tell you something about Asha Asha is a national security and foreign policy expert who publishes material about defense policy national security and veteran affairs she is a university professor teaching international politics international political economy U.S. foreign policy and United Nations peacekeeping as I said, she she was also a combat veteran that served in Iraq, Kuwait and Jordan. She serves on the board of the Advisors for America's Impact, Veterans for Diplomacy and Women Veterans and Family Network. She also is a member of the Truman National Security Projects Defense Council and a co-founder of International Youth Council. She was chosen as one of the diplomatic careers top 99 under 33 foreign policy leaders i think you're going to enjoy this interview with asha i give you asha hustlebury asha thank you so much for being willing to be a guest on she's got drive thank you i'm really excited about having you as a guest i mean there's a number of things that's outstanding about you <laughs> i'm really excited about having this opportunity to talk to you because um I'm always curious about how my guests choose and get get started in the careers that they are in. And but I'm, I'm curious about what had you be interested in joining the army? You know, what was that that led you to that place? So can you share with us a little bit about how you how you got to do what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So again, my name is Asha Casaberry, and I am a U.S. Army veteran. And what inspired me to join the Army was actually after 9-11. I was in New York when 9-11 happened. Uh, and I was around like in 11th or 12th grade. And subsequently, I joined the Reserve Officer Training Corps uh, to build on my experiences in leadership. And I loved the physical training. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, it was to support uh, my tuition. So I went on to an HBCU called Hampton University and joined ROTC and uh, completed it for four years and enjoyed uh, my my uh, time there. So it's, it was, so what was it about the 9-11 experience that had you make that choice? What, what was the decision that you made? You know, what was the, help, help us understand a bit more about that. Well, I wanted to um, definitely learn how to protect my country mm -hmm. as a result of watching what happened um, and, and I was definitely disturbed that I actually had family members in the area. Thank God they survived it. So I wanted to learn about protecting my country as well as leadership opportunities. So you went to Hampton University and then like help us understand what's the connection between that and then you, you actually being out in Kuwait and um, Iraq and uh, 
where you where you served? Yes. So um, when um, when I was at Hampton University, it was two reasons why I kind of ended up overseas. One, um, during my junior year, I had the opportunity to study abroad in Shanghai, China, mm-hmm. uh, and that inspired me to get in, involved in international relations. So after I was commissioned as a second lieutenant, um, I was inspired going to foreign policy, foreign affairs. So I ended up um, continuing my studies at NYU and Columbia University School of International Public Affairs. Mm-hmm. So right after I completed my graduate studies, um, I was told by Army um, that you have to deploy. So I ended up deploying. And um, what was really fascinating during my deployment is I did the same work that I, I actually learned about in my during graduate school. Right. So, um, you know, it was an assignment with the military. And also I was willing, I was looking forward to actually doing the assignment because it was the work that I studied while I was in undergrad. Right, right. So then what do you, can you describe some of the life of when you're on deployment? Like, what's it like? What do you, yeah, what's your, what's a day in the life of, um, Asher out in in Iraq or Kuwait or well um, in in some in some deployments it's not as um, not as violent compared to others like if you compare Kuwait to Iraq mm-hmm. Kuwait is more of a hardship tour versus Iraq is more of combat because that's where the actual war is going on mm-hmm. so um, in those areas the the environment is very um, dense a lot of desert. Um, you know, and when you're in a military environment, uh, I must say that, you know, as a woman, you're outnumbered, of course, with men mm-hmm. who are doing their own thing, their own missions. And um, and you're just out there learning um, about how the, mil- the role of the U.S. military. And also, I actually had the opportunity to have a really cool mission where I worked with the local people, the local security forces. Mm-hmm. So I felt that that was a lot more interesting in the work I was doing because I was building partnerships with uh, Kuwaitis, the Iraqis, the Jordanians. And I had no idea that I was able to actually do that. Um, but I had the opportunity to do it and, and was successful at it. So, you know, overall, the, 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 um, the tours are kind of it's kind of complicated in terms of the conditions of it but you do you do win a um excuse me you do learn a lot about international peace and security and um geopolitics and and it's just great uh in-person experiences versus just reading a a book Mm -hmm. about it at Mm -hmm. home in the united states and so when when you're at you said one of the things you said was you were outnumbered of course you know women are outnumbered in the military particularly when they're out on deployment what's that like and how do you how do you what's the impact of that on you of being in the minority in that in those conditions i mean we're you know many times we as women we experience being in minority spaces in our workspaces right but you are living and working in the same place in very challenging conditions so what what was that like for you and how do you what do you how do you deal with the impact of that well the culture itself is masculine so when you have a male dominant um environment masculinity is the the dominant factor there and you know initially it's kind of like oh okay wow there's a lot of men here and you really feel it when you have to breathe uh in front of them 
but then psychologically you kind of just get used to it Mm -hmm. uh and it doesn't really phase you anymore so initially it's intimidating but then you you know once you adapt to the environment uh it doesn't really intimidate you as much so it's something that you just get used to it over time right right if you had to um say what would the things that you learn about yourself more when you were out on deployment versus kind of generally what were the key things that you learned about yourself well i definitely learned that um a lot of things and i and i haven't been the same since i came home but i've learned a lot of great things about me first i learned i'm really good at building relationships with people that i thought i would never be able to right so you you know there's these western perceptions about the Middle East, especially with the men, like there's no way women can work with them. They look at them like they're secondary. That was not necessarily the case. So I learned that I was actually pretty good at building relationships with um, with men in the in uh, in the Middle East region, especially in the Gulf region. Mm-hmm. And then also, I learned a lot in terms of I'm pretty good at languages, and I didn't really realize that until I went out there. Like here, I you know I picked up Spanish, but when I went out there and I heard Arabic all day, it just started to become more natural to me. So my ear was actually good in, in terms of understanding or picking up the words. And I never knew that I was really good at that. Wow. <laughs> so I returned home with knowing, you know, uh, some elementary Arabic. And then also I learned that, um, you know, I'm really good at understanding how geopolitics works. And um, and just understanding regional dynamics with that as far as how states behave. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of like I really ad- adapted well with that type of like intelligence um, briefings or just understanding the operational environment aspect. Mm-hmm. So it, I enjoyed it. It was something I really enjoyed. And another thing, too, I must say, as a woman of color, um, this might sound a little corny, but I had a really excellent cultural connection with the people out there mm-hmm. uh, because my my last name, I mean, my first name, excuse me, is Muslim. So a lot of their wives and daughters were named Aisha as same as mine. So mm-hmm. they loved my name. And, and I'm not going to be I'm going to be very honest with you. When I was in, you know, in the United States, my name was like, OK, my name's Asha. But out there, it has a lot of meaning to it, especially when you read the Quran and stuff like that. So. I really learned how to appreciate my name too, how invaluable it is in, in their culture. Right, right. So in that ability to kind of build that connection and then being able to connect to you, then then that enhances your the work that you're doing obviously and then your along with your skills around being good at building relationships with others. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So then when you said you you know, you, you came back different, what's the difference that what was the difference as you returned to back to the U S and and what had you returned back? You know, what was the impetus for coming back to the U S? Well, I felt like because I had all these in country in person experiences, I was able to understand the strategic goals in national security. Mm -hmm. Like, um, because I understood the tactical and operational levels so I was able to really understand where we were trying to go in terms of our counterterrorism strategy, our uh, securing our alliances, um, 
uh, nuclear nonproliferation. I really was able to have a better grasp of those issues as a result of working in the region. And that's why I recommend to everyone, always try to go get out there and, and get into these countries and understand the dynamics of what is going on compared to trying to learn about it at home Mm -hmm. or in the States because you're not going to get as much out of it versus being out there. And when you come back with that wealth of knowledge, you're like an asset to to your country, to your people, where you can explain how things are happening because it is delivered differently through the media or through writings you see in these foreign policy publications. It's like two different worlds. So when did you come back and what had, and then, and one of the things that, um, I know that you, you you write, um, is one of the things you write. And, um, I saw one of your articles was about how to, uh, the tips for women veterans as they return. Um, so help us understand how you managed your return to civilian life and what, and how you created your, your next career really but connected to your first career? It was honestly tough, but I felt like as I was navigating my transition that I had to educate others how to uh, not be able to struggle when they come back from their deployments, as, especially as a woman, vet, a female vet. So uh, when I came home, um, I did like two things that were very important. One, I jumped into academia, which was a blessing, but it took time to reach that goal. And then two, I ended up uh, getting a lot of speaking engagements, doing a lot of media opportunities to talk about uh, geopolitics, defense policy in the Middle East, grand strategy. So um, I felt that that was necessary to do that because I didn't feel that there was enough women of color that were visible talking about these issues. And we provide a different perspective that the, um, that the world needs to know about. So, you know, I was in pursuit of my own brand as well as working in academia. So how did you make the, how did you make the lead? So you said it was tough. So you get back, how do you get from that to being, um, called on as an expert in media, for example, when there's something that happens, that they call on you to give your expertise on on this international situation. So how do you get from arriving back and trying to kind of try and, you know, get back into civilian life to, to achieving that and being being seen as and accepted as an expert in this in the field? Well, it took a while, but um, I did a couple of things. One one thing that I did was um, academia definitely helped, helped me to promote my brand. So mm-hmm. when you're a, a professor in academia, you're pretty much out there for the media to reach out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that helped me as well as I applied to a couple mid-career uh, fellowships that also helped me as well. Right. That helped promote my brand. And then I also use technology like social media to promote my my thoughts about specific issues. And then as a result of that, a lot of people started to follow uh, me and respect my opinions. And then I also reached out to folks that I knew 
that did at, that worked at policy centers to let them know, hey, this is me, this is what I know, this is what I'm working on. And that wasn't necessarily smooth. There were some policy centers that were like, oh, that's great, let's hear it. And there was some that did, did, didn't even care. So it was like a hit or miss, mm -hmm. especially for the fact that I was a woman of color doing this. Right, right. So how many women of color are doing what you're doing? Who else is in, who else do you know who's in, in this space? Because it's usually as live. It's usually to the point that we actually could name people. Isn't <laughs> usually if it's that small. But I have, what's the what's it like, the landscape? Wow. Well, if, if you talk about foreign policy, there is a, a good number, but it's very small community. Mm -hmm. And you talk about hard security, like military affairs, um, you know, nuclear weapons. That's the community is really small real, really small. So, and then I know some of them. Um, I do, I, I do work very closely with a, a great woman. Uh, who's, uh, her name is Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins. She's wonderful. Uh, so I, I deal with her a lot, but then, um, there are some, I'm not going to lie to you that don't really like to connect as much. You know, they mm -hmm. deal with you from a distance or just talk to you through social media. I'm not sure why they're like that, but there are a significant number of women that, um, I would say that we do talk and then there's another good 50% that just don't even want to connect. It's fascinating when that happens, isn't it? I'm always curious about what that is given, given how small our communities of different professions are and that how we can get so much further when we're in community, when we lift each other up, when we open doors for one another, when we network, is like if we come from a really an abundance mentality, then it allows us all to move much further forward than than when that's not happening. I'm always well. I, I I would like to make a definite comment on that. You have some people that have that old guard uh, perspective, where you know back in the day. If you reached out to someone that looked like you, oh, can you help me? They're like, no, go figure out yourself, right? Right. But now where you got this woke campaign, you have this like where people's mindsets are shifting to where like, okay, we got to really help each other. Right. Now you're starting to see more people opening up to help each other, but there's still a significant number that don't. And it's very sad, but I, I do feel that things are getting a lot better because there's more that are helping. Right. Right, mm -hmm. and that's how you start to expand um, the number of women of color who are moving in this space. So then, um, help us understand what your work is today. You know, so what are you? What does it look like right now in in your world? What are you working on? Oh, uh, yeah. So I'm still in academia. I still teach foreign policy, national security. Um, and love every moment of it. Um, I'm still doing uh, media. Uh, I just actually completed an interview about the Israeli elections and Brexit mm -hmm. um, on uh, Fox 5 and also sometimes uh, participate in international news. So I'm still working on those two. And also on the side, I do a lot of advocacy work in terms of trying to diversify the national security realm with more uh, diversity candidates. Mm -hmm. So that's something I love doing too as well. So yeah, it's just those um, three things that I'm working on. And um, it's very interesting moving forward with uh, when you have the election season coming up, 
uh, that's something that's a good time to actually promote your your um, foreign policy perspective so you could be influential towards specific candidates. So that's something that we're also working on right now. But yeah, uh, just pretty much academia, media, and uh, still doing some writing and looking into publishing a book soon. Perfect. I'm curious about, you know, one of the things I ask my guests is about what's their source, the source of their success, you know? So if you think about, uh, you know, sometimes our messaging when we were growing up, um, had our family, um, our family patterns, you know, what were the things, to which, where would you put your, the source of your success? At? You know, what are the things that, that lead you to be successful in your career, successful in your um, military career, and then you've been able to transition in a very powerful and effective way as you as you come out into civilian life, which is a as you said a tough transition that some people don't always do so well. So, what is it about you that's been able to do that? My faith in God and, and staying consistent and and staying confident, but um, you know. Throughout my transition or just my military career, you can get really discouraged. But if you have, uh, uh, you know, faith that you will be fine and a sense of optimism, I think that at the end of the day will help you get over the the challenges. And trust me, there's challenges all, all the time to mm -hmm. where you're like, OK, I don't want to have nothing to do with this. I, I'm done. I, I feel like I need to quit. But um, I always believed in myself that I can do it and I can make it. Um, and, and because of my faith. So I think that what keeps it, keeps me going. My family too. Um, a lot of my family members believe in me. So when they come in, uh, every so often to remind you that you can do it, keep going. I, that is so helpful in terms of, you know, your mentality. Um, and then also my peers too believe in me as well. So I, I never quit. And I think I, I picked that up from the military we have like this model or, or, you know, they kind of brainwash you to never quit. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's just how I, how I am, how I navigate this realm. And we also look at challenges as if they're not as big as you think. And I think that's why I, um, I kind of just keep going despite that, you know, the four walls are falling on you. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just keep going because challenges to me, yeah, they're significant, but some of them are, are, are really small than what you think. So, that's how I kind of navigate this, uh, my career. Right, right. So challenges are never as big as you think they are. Yes. And that's when it helps to speak to others, isn't it? When, you know, the encouragement that you get from others. And then also in, sometimes when we're in conversations and people can, you can really see the, a, a way in. And then when you can see a way in to start to get some movement over, over or through those challenges, then it's kind of can really help us to, to like get beyond it. Get be right. And one last thing too, I hate complaining for a long time. <laughs> I don't mind complaining, but if there's a problem and, and like I'm stuck on complaining, I start to like really, that starts to bother me. I'm more solution based. I want to like problem solve this. Right. So I, and that's the military, uh, characteristic in me too. We we love to do some sort of problem solving and just sit there and complain. Right, right. So to, so is that when you like you hear yourself complaining, and then you think I am just complaining about this, and then you're like, no, 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 no. I just got to figure this out, 
or like you catch yourself? Is that what you mean? Or when you're someone else complaining, you're like, oh, no, 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 I can't. We have to, or both. Both, both. Anyway. Yeah, both. <laughs> so I've got one of the, one of the things that I'm curious about. It's like, what has been your biggest challenge in life so far? My biggest challenge, I must say, um, um, is actually getting used to or staying in the national security field. Um, it's the pipeline of it is not as as smooth. Uh, the military, it is because for the military, you know, you're always aiming to, for the next rank. You need certain uh, positions going into the next range and also you need to make sure you attend or complete certain schools. But as a civilian in national security, it has been very difficult um, in terms of mentorship, sponsorship. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then, you know, as you're getting, as you feel that you're pretty talented in this, you can feel really discouraged because I'm going to be honest with you, I don't get a lot of sponsorship or mentorship from senior people. I have to reach out to them. So I sometimes I say to myself, what am I doing? Right. right. <laughs> so um, so I think that has been pretty difficult. And then also explaining this to my family, because it's not like a pipe, uh, like a direct pipeline career. Like, you know, if you want to be a doctor, you go all these schools. And then when you come out of school, you go for a certain job. Everybody kind of knows how to figure that out. But right. when it comes to national security, it is such a zigzag. So you know, whoever you're, if you have a spouse or your, your family members and you're trying to explain this to them, they're like, oh, okay, I see, okay. So, and you're hoping that you're doing things right, mm -hmm. right? And then you also have to take into account how, you know, your pay, you know, am I, am I reaching that certain salary that I need? So I think uh, the zigzags are fun, but it gets a little scarier as you move forward mm -hmm. uh, in your career because you, you, you want to make a certain amount of money as you, are getting older. So, um, I think that's what might've been very difficult for me. Uh, and also just making sure I have that support system or those sponsors or mentors that are point, uh, pointing me to the right direction. I don't get as much as that. Right. I, I wish I was able to receive more sponsorship. Um, you know, but I receive very little and it's not that I'm not talented. It's just for women of color. It's not like that versus I've noticed with my Caucasian colleagues, they tend to move faster than me because they get more sponsorship than right. me. Right. Yeah, so it's really having to find those people who can sponsor you. And that is, is critical to your to, to success. And, and yeah, I can hear like the, the barriers that exist to you being able to accomplish that, that you can get that over time, you might, the commitment is to keep moving, to keep, keep, keep achieve, trying to achieve that. But yeah, the barriers are, oh, the barriers to that are huge. They're huge. If you yeah. had, if you had to um, share, what, what's been your most courageous moment? Um, <laughs> I think actually flying over Baghdad when there was a conflict. <laughs> You know, I like I do not like planes um, or helicopters. So, you know, I'm afraid of heights. So right. actually doing that has been 
pretty difficult. Um, and I think also standing up for people that needed the support. Um, I had to do that both in the military as well as a civilian. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. There's actually a, a, a issue that I have been more open to talk about before it became a, a bigger issue later on, like like the uh, policy of dealing with reparations. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've, I've had the courage to actually talk about that before now that everybody else has talked about it. Right. And it's not an easy thing to talk about because it's um, controversial to a certain extent, but there's a lot of momentum with that. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed lately, you know, a lot of, candidates have been saying they're in support of it and I'm really happy about that because prior to them even talking about reparations I was supportive of it and and um and it was it was tough I've had some people say what are you talking about but now everybody more people are are supporting it I'm not sure if that really answers your question but uh yeah but I mean you know having a voice when it's not that popular Mm -hmm. that has been pretty courageous for me um as well as in terms of military operations yeah like flying over areas that uh that are in conflict that's pretty pretty tense (laughs) yeah i bet i mean i that i I can't even that's a world i can't even mentally inhabit you know there's some things where where we can imagine or i can imagine doing the following things there'll be some that's one of those things that i couldn't actually imagine myself doing or imagine what that might feel like because of just that fear that comes up for me about even being in a space where there's any kind of combat happening so I can't yeah that's amazing yeah it's amazing that you did that yes it really is it really is um one of the questions that I always ask my guests is um there's two things I'd like to ask you is one is my uh, my mum passed away last year and since then I've been more present to the wisdom that we get from our elders and the wisdom that we get from our mums and but it may not just be our mothers you know I know I'm mindful and cognizant on that people have very different relationships with their mothers so I'm curious about, is there a piece of wisdom that you either got from your mom or an elder woman in your life and that you that has stayed with you that you'd like to share? Yes, never quit. Um, there has been some times where um, I felt pretty low about a lot of things. You know, it's just a, it's a tough world. And my mother always boosted my, my, um, my optimism. She always found um, some sort of way of saying, you know, never quit. You're you're a great woman um, and keep your faith up. Um, She always talked about, you know, my faith. So I, my mother and my father have been uh, definitely role models for me to keep going. And they all, and they never, never, they never quit on me. So I learned I learned to, to always stay consistent mm-hmm. and just keep going. Um, and, and to this day, my mom and my father are very supportive. So I think that's the, the biggest message, message that I'm going to say. But you have to navigate your life with, your, with God in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so my last question for you is, 
you know, what would you tell your younger self, you know, if you had to look back and given them where you are, of all the experience, all the wisdom that you have today, and you wanted to tell the younger Asha two or three things that would guide her, what would they be? Well, this might be out of nowhere, but definitely um, I would have told myself, be a lot smarter with your finances. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not bad with my finances, but I think the light bulb came on in my late 20s. So I must say that I wish I kind of knew about uh, financial literacy, uh, more more aware of economic behavior. And I think that as a result of that, I would have probably had a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely financial literacy is something that I would have definitely learned about well in advance. That's not out of the blue at all. I think that is one of the... That's great. That's one of the things that, as a community, we we need to do better. And um, and as you said, if it was if that was younger, if we could do that at a much younger age, that that would be powerful, wouldn't it? That I'm curious why we don't learn about that. We should learn about that in school. That should start in school. Like, what does that mean for us in our day, how we live our lives and the choices that we make and what it, you know like around our spending, around our savings, around our investments, around our, like the whole, the debt, all of it. <laughs> what does it mean? I, I have no idea, but I know, I, I feel like that was intentional. So in terms of capitalism, they could get more out of a person that doesn't know. Cause when you don't know, right. you spend more, right. right. And you save less. So I, I feel like it's intentional because a lot of schools do not have, uh, you know, courses with regards to, financial literacy, but I think that's changing. Just not too long ago, South Carolina uh, state legislator actually was looking into passing a bill to to mandate financial literacy uh, in public schools. So I think people are now demanding it, that we need to have this in place, especially Mm -hmm. for the fact that the wealth inequality uh, in the United States or around the world is just horrible, right? It's just getting worse. So Um, but I really do feel that it was deliberate that they just didn't want people to know because they'll spend more the more you're financially illiterate. Yeah, and the more you get indebted. So <laughs> what would you recommend in terms of increasing financial liter- literacy? If someone's listening today, is there some like is there books that you use? Is there like where would you where would you put your someone's focus? Oh, I like to follow um, websites like Money Market. Mm -hmm. I also like to read about Vanguard. I like reading about uh, Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. He has a lot of great advice on YouTube and some great books. Um, I also um, like to listen to a great great expert known as uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins. He's wonderful, too, as far as teaching uh, financial literacy. Um, so yeah, those are the top like sources that I, uh, pretty much follow and, and they really talk to you about, uh, small investments to bigger investments, home ownership, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stock, buying stocks and bonds, real estate. I mean, it's just so many different things, franchises, think, uh, starting your own business. I think it's just, this is all necessary moving forward and people can't afford to no longer, to be illiterate about these important concepts that 
actually makes a big difference in your life. Right, right. I remember like when my, I think I was in my 20s and, um, and I came across this book that um, wasn't even in the detail of um, those things that you're speaking about. The, the, trans, the start of my transformation around my relationship to money was from a book called The Richest Man in Babylon, which is a parable. And in the parable, it teaches you, in reading the parable, it teaches you the like principles around money and your relationship to money and shifting your relationship to money. And that was my wake up where I was like, oh, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I need to really start to educate myself and then started to look at different things. Um, and and then was it was like I bought a house when I was 24 was my first time that I bought a house and realizing the importance of investing in that way in in property ownership and then then learning about what you do with that and so that was the start so it's it's if we can even just if we can begin anywhere so if someone's sitting listening to this and says what am I what am I doing about my financial literacy? There's so many. That's the beauty of the internet as well. Of course, we did not have that back then when I was in my 20s. So, right. Right. <laughs> so um, books was my access, really, for the most part. But now we have so much that's available. But absolutely, I think that's such wise, wise, wise words. Um, Asha, it's been really, really wonderful to spend some time with you um, today I I feel like um, you know your courage in in terms of the choices that you've made in your career is really to be acknowledged and appreciated really and um, thank you to really kind of be a, a model to not just to women veterans which I'm sure that you know many women veterans really look up to you and what I'm watching you to see what you're doing with your life but to other women to because you are treading a path that so few women are treading and I really wish you all the best with the work that you're doing because it's just incredible thank you so much so um thank you for being a guest and um you know, if actually, if someone wants to get in contact with you, where's the best place to 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 find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Asha uh, Castleberry. Okay. At A S H A C A S T L E B E R R Y. That's a great place to follow uh, my work as well as reach out to me. Okay, great. Well, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. And uh, thank you so much again. And uh, take care. Be well. I hope that you've been inspired to shift gears in your own life. Well, I was so struck by Asha sharing, obviously her courageous moment, that she actually is scared of heights. (laughs) But she has done so many missions in um, the Middle East. So that is mind-blowing, number one. And number two... I was struck by the importance of sponsorship and mentoring and that, of course, she's Asha clearly talks about her not having been able to achieve that, unlike her white colleagues. But it hasn't got in the way of her achieving what she has. And, well, it did get in the way. It delayed it. But she really has gone beyond that obstacle because she's in the pursuit of something 
that is her purpose and her passion. Whilst sponsorship and mentoring is really, really helpful, valuable, it doesn't mean that we can't do it. It's a much tougher road, but it's still achievable. And I was, that really stuck with me out of the interview actually. And so her courage in so many ways uh, shows up in the various stories that she shared and I appreciate her and I appreciate all that she does in the world to be honest you know I really do so thank you Ashen for being on the show uh, if you are enjoying the show and loving the show please rate and review the show head over to iTunes and um, give us a five-star rating and a review and like share with me what are you getting from listening to she's got drive what do you take away what actions are you taking um where are you listening like you know whatever you want to share about what your you know what's your favorite interviews as well if you can tell me some of your favorite interviews would be cool she's got drive is produced by cassandra voltalina the music is by the awesome or female band blonde the song is called circles you can contact me through my instagram at shirley McAlpine. Um, you can go onto She's Got Drive podcast page, uh, Facebook page, or you can also go to shirleymcalpine.com forward slash contact me to send me a message. I look forward to being with you again. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, go well and stay well. <laughs>